If you're innovating, creating, or making a difference, this show is for you. Welcome to Over Coffee. I'm Dot Cannon. Here on Over Coffee, we talk with artists and innovators about the process of changing the world in terms of what they do. There's some idea that there's going to be a stopover place on the way to Mars, and we want to be able to say, okay, have my lettuce ready for me when I get there. How do you do that? So that's this year's challenge. And then the following year will be about adding sensors and keeping the plant alive. And what Amy Paidoff is talking about is keeping plants alive in zero gravity. Amy is Director of Education at Fairchild Tropical Botanic Garden in Coral Gables, Florida. And she's the leader of several nationally and internationally renowned science education programs, including the Growing Beyond Earth Project. This is a citizen science project operated in partnership with NASA in which middle and high school students conduct research determining which crops might be effectively grown aboard the International Space Station. The Growing Beyond Earth Project, or GBE, is currently in its sixth year, and it's engaged more than 10,000 middle and high school students so far, according to Fairchild Gardens' website. Amy, starting from the beginning here, you obviously love botany, earth sciences, and teaching. Where did that love start for you? How'd you first fall in love with botany and sharing what you know about it? I fell in love with STEM sciences back in high school. I had a particular teacher that was very passionate about their work. And I felt the passion and inspired us to do really hands-on things. Instead of just textbook learning, it was more, you know, giving us an opportunity to experiment and try new things and learn in different ways. There was a biology class. My teacher, God rest his soul, he is, uh, yeah, he really was a great inspiration to me. And it carried that with me throughout my schooling. I never expected to be in the position that I'm in today. So I have an undergrad degree in rhetoric and master's degree in science education. And so I've been through you know, working at zoos and museums, and now here I am at Fairchild. And I do consider myself a botanist, although I'm not formally trained. What I hear is that you've had a career in sharing the magic of science. Yes, absolutely. I really feel that the best way to share that is through your passion and your excitement for what you do. And I've had a great opportunity over my career to be able to take that passion, you know, to find projects and be very passionate about it. You know, currently at Fairchild, I really feel like it's, I have this, this, the perfect center of a perfect science education Venn diagram, right? So it's like the very perfect center of that, where I work in a beautiful place, as you can see from behind me, I work in a beautiful place. I work with amazing people who give me the opportunity to be super creative and I get to affect change in our community and, you know, hopefully beyond that. So I really feel like I found that like perfect spot there. All of which are a part of what you're doing right now with the Growing Beyond Earth program, work with amazing people, be super creative and make a huge difference. How did you come to implement the Growing Beyond Earth program? Well, so the Growing Beyond Earth project started in 2015 when my director, Dr. Carl Lewis, and I were talking about a project they were doing at NASA 
they had just installed a growth chamber on the International Space Station, a plant growth chamber on the International Space Station, essentially a little garden. And the system's called Veggie. It's still there today. It was designed to test plant growth for long-distance space travel. And when we learned about it, about that work, you know, I reached out to the program, the lead scientist, Dr. Joya Massa, who is one of my good friends now, to offer our assistance. I had never met her. I reached out to her asking her if we could help in any way, you know, as plant experts, and also to enlist this incredibly huge army of enthusiastic middle and high school students who were already involved in education programs at Fairchild. So, and we had a wonderful conversation with her. She invited us up to Kennedy Space Center where we had an opportunity to talk to a larger audience and see the work that they were doing there. They were really enthusiastic about the work that we do. So now it is a partnership between Fairchild Tropical Botanic Garden and NASA's Exploration Research and Technology Programs in the Science Directive, led by Dr. Joya Massa. We are testing edible plant varieties for long-distance space travel and having students in classrooms doing all of the data collection and the experimentation, providing all of that data to NASA directly so NASA can use that to determine what they're going to grow next. I'm going to brag on you a little bit. You created the growth chambers without having hundreds of thousands of dollars like NASA has at the beginning and one, I believe it's a $1.25 million grant for your work here. That's amazing. Yes, absolutely. And that was the first grant we got from them. We got a $1.25 million grant. But prior to that, we did a sort of test phase year where we had created growth chambers from, you know, off the shelf equipment and materials, you know, art supply materials, hardware store materials. And together we created a system that was analogous to what's on the International Space Station, including grow lights. One of the things we were lucky to be able to do was be able to get some of the specifications from NASA and be able to create things that worked well, even down to the light. You know, the light is very specific. It has a very specific photo synthetic active radiation, a PAR unit that we wanted to make sure we were as close to as possible. So on my dining room table and my director, Carl Lewis's dining room table, we created these different models to test. With funding from NASA, we've now been able to produce these in a way that allows us to have the light is almost identical to what's on the International Space Station. We had it designed to mimic the different colors and everything. Ours is a little bit more advanced, as a matter of fact. We are actually able to tune the lights. And then the growth chamber is, you know, this box that mimics the size, the shape, the lighting, and the way that the plants grow within the International Space Station. Wow. How many classrooms this year, given that we had a major sea change with the COVID pandemic, nobody could see this coming, in your sixth year, how many classrooms are participating in the program and from where? Oh, our sixth, this is our sixth year. We have about 200 and 250 classrooms across the nation who are currently participating in the program. We have a group that's where we started here in South Florida. We have um, Ohio, California, Colorado, Puerto Rico. We have schools all across the nation participating. And what's really great is it's, it's from the teachers down. 
So we train the teachers, we provide them with all of the equipment necessary, research protocols that are designed to be followed, and we hand that off to the teachers. The teachers not only get trained by us, but they get trained by Dr. Massa joins us, along with a few of her other colleagues at the NASA's Kennedy Space Center join us for the training. So what a great opportunity for these teachers. And then we hand it off to them. And then as they're collecting data, they're collecting data using these formulated data sheets. Each school has their own. The students collect all the data. The data is instantly transferred to us. We do some analysis and some statistical analysis, and then we hand it off to the folks at Kennedy Space Center so they can determine what their next direction is going to be. What if a teacher is listening right now and says, how do I get my class involved in this for September 2021? I am so glad that you asked that question. So we are looking, we're starting to recruit for the coming academic year. They can go visit us on our website at fairchildgarden.org backslash GBE, GBE. So Growing Beyond Earth, GBE. And on there, there's a place where it says, you know, to click here for more information on how to participate. What kind of a time commitment is this for the teacher? It sounds like an incredibly good time and it sounds very rewarding, but also that it would take more time. What kind of commitment? It's interesting because the way we've developed this program is that there's not a specifically written out curriculum. It's designed to be implemented into their curriculum already. So it's to augment their curriculum so they can you know, do it in different classes at different times. The students are collecting data, you know, at the onset on the front end, you're loading a little bit more time because you're planting and you're creating and you're setting up and you're doing some of the overview. But really, it's just a you know, a half an hour a week, maybe they're collecting data and they're entering it into their system. The data changes every year. The protocol changes every year, depending on the research project. So we build upon the previous year's research to determine what the next year's research is going to be. And that's all based on questions that NASA scientists have about growing plants for space. So fertilizer, light, photo period, with the over, the big overarching is different varieties of plants, because there's thousands of plants to choose from that are edible that sort of meet their requirements. And so we want to be able to do as best of the testing as we can. Since NASA doesn't have the space or the person power or the time to do all of the trials, now we have this incredible army of really enthusiastic kids doing all of that for them. Why didn't they do this when I was in school? What works and what does not work when you're looking at a crop that might be grown on the space station? That's a really good question. So I've learned a lot about what the requirements are. And they're kind of similar to some of the requirements that we have when we grow plants on Earth, right? So all of the things that we're learning are applicable to growing plants on Earth. So what they're looking for is they're looking for plants that grow large amounts of edible biomass in a small space. The veggie system on the International Space Station is about 18 inches square. So it's very small. So large amounts of edible biomass in that small space. They're looking for plants that have high vitamin content. For space specifically, they're looking for things that have vitamins that are not found in the processed diets or the things that are lacking. So things like vitamin K. So vitamin K is very important for bone density. And as I understand it, the longer you spend in low or zero gravity, the less dense your bones are. And vitamin K is something that you can really only get in the fresh green leaves of plants. After over time, it just degrades and you really can't take a pill for it. 
So that's another one. They're also looking for plants that grow well with low amounts of resources, something we face here on earth, not only space, but water, fertilizer, soil, that stuff's expensive to get to space, right? And they're also looking for things that have a strong flavor. And what's really interesting that I find really interesting is that when you spend time in space, the way that your blood flows makes you feel like you have a head cold all the time because the way your blood flows. So when you have a head cold, just like here on earth, your sense of taste gets muted. So the astronauts are looking for things that have strong flavors. And that's why we've tested things like some of the things we've tested have been, you know, bitter greens like wasabi mustard green and a lot of bok choys, things that have a really strong flavor. And it has to be something else that doesn't have to be cooked because there's right now there's no cooking ability on the International Space Station. I had wondered when I was looking at your Twitter account why so often we saw, for example, romaine or lettuce of different kinds or bok choy. And that certainly answers why between the vitamin K and needing the sharp, spicy flavor. Right. What, what would you consider one of your absolute favorite successes from this last year? And what's been one learning moment? One, oh, we could have done that differently from which the kids mm-hmm. are learning. I think... For this year, I think the most incredible piece of this was figuring out how to pivot during this unprecedented time, right? So the kids aren't in their classroom and and we don't want to add an extra burden on the teachers to have to have, you know, taking care of this whole system themselves and figuring out a way to be able to do the research. So we were able to pivot in a way that still worked to answer some of NASA's questions, but without using the growth chamber at the beginning of the year when the kids weren't in the classroom. So we were able to give each school a variety of pepper that is they're considering for growth on the International Space Station and some little pots and soil. So we made little kits for the schools, as many as we could with the funds that we had. And we sent them out to the teachers and then the teachers distributed them. So no matter where the kids were learning, whether it was at home or in a classroom or, you know, from their parents' office or wherever, they could be doing this research. And what we were looking at is pollination because there's no pollinators on spacecraft. So looking at, you know, the flowers versus fruit set on hand-pollinated and non-hand-pollinated plants. So it was great. It was an indoor, didn't matter if you were in Florida where we have you know, sun all year round, or you were in Colorado where it might've been too cold to grow something outside. The students were able to do it at home, still collect the data that was useful and important and sending that to us so we could share that with NASA. That's to me was one of the greatest to be able to have so many teachers really want to be able to participate this year, knowing the stress that they're under to achieve what often seems like the unthinkable during such a crazy time, you know, getting kids to pay attention and achieve during this time. So that was the greatest. I think the biggest aha was trying to narrow down exactly the research we wanted to do, making sure we were focusing it enough that no matter if the teacher was, you know, the superstar teacher who was going to be on the phone with these kids all the time or on the Zoom with these kids all the time, or it was going to be a teacher who wanted to do this because he or she thought it could inspire the next generation, that we narrowed down the question that we were asking to a nice little, you know, bite-sized piece so that the kids were able to do it. It was incredibly exciting. We have a symposium 
coming up in April, April 17th, where all of the students or whomever wants to are going to come together for a Zoom conference where they're going to be presenting their research to the NASA scientists, administrators, interns via Zoom. So they get, you know, five slides, they get eight minutes with two minutes of questions, and they get to have the opportunity to share what they've learned on the first half, which was the pepper challenge. And on the second half, which was another piece where we sent them back out their growth chambers and gave them back their growth chambers so that they could do some fertilizer, some photo periods, some light trials as well. So it's really exciting. That is. Well, when you say whoever wants to, does that mean enthusiastic members of the general public can see this? Are we allowed to? I'm going to post whether we can. We're still trying to work it out with the schools because it's students with their school names. So we're trying to work through that right now. But definitely it will be posted on our website, at, like I said, at fairchildgarden.org backslash GBE. Wow, this is so amazing. What's exciting to me is you got inspired by a teacher who saw the creativity of science and you have kids here researching and we don't know what the answer is. What have been some of the ways that the research these students are doing has changed what's happening on the ISS? Well, that is a really, really good question as well. So, and I'm glad that you asked that. So there are two kind of outcomes that are coming from this. The first outcome is the science, the data that they're contributing is being used by NASA. So over the last six years, students have tested 140 different varieties of plants. Of those, NASA down-selected 12 of those that were then tested at their facility at Kennedy Space Center because everything has to be trialed and trialed and trialed again before it's, you know, the technical readiness level, they call it, for being sent on the ISS since it's so costly and time-consuming. And the students, so of those 140 plants, 12 were down-selected. And two of those have been grown on the International Space Station, one of which was trialed again and was harvested, I think, about three weeks ago. They harvested again that variety, which is extra dwarf bok choy, that was chosen by the students as a good candidate for growing in space. Also, the NASA scientists have also used the data that we've done on some original research where they were looking at how plants were grown. And so they implemented the technique of cut and come again, which is continuous harvest, that type of thing, on the International Space Station based solely on the data of the students in the Growing Beyond Earth project. How exciting is that? That's wonderful. Right. And, you know, the second impact of this, so we have the science impact and then we have the student impact. And along the way, we've done some really great evaluations of the impacts on the students learning and how inspired they are. And we've been doing that along the way. And, you know, the formal research on the subject, just a quick summary of that is that teachers were surveyed and they said that GBE, it showed that GBE had improved STEM instruction in middle and high schoolers. It uniquely and efficiently affected serving groups and underrepresented in STEM fields as defined by race, gender, socioeconomic status. And through the program, students have become more knowledgeable about STEM topics, more confident when participating in STEM activities, and more interested in STEM careers. Students are learning about dietary importance of fresh vegetables for maintaining health on top of all of that. So I really feel like there's a lot of win going on. One of the cool things that we saw is that we saw this interesting increase in girls participating 
and their confidence in participating in this particular type of activity. So that was really interesting as well. We're going to continue to do these evaluations to see how it's going and how it's moving forward. Now, when I was a teenage girl, I don't remember being that interested in plant science. How in the world do you capture the imagination of a teenage girl and get her excited about what's going on in the STEM class? Well, let's say that maybe she hasn't been very scientific. I'm not sure what the magic sauce is. Like I try to figure out what the magic sauce is. I had a great story. One of my students who takes other classes here, an adult student who takes other classes here, came into my office last year, came running into my office and said to me, Amy, I have to tell you the best story. She said that she had her granddaughter came home from school. She's a high schooler. 15 years old, came home and said, grandma, you know what I want to do? I want to start a garden at home. And her, you know, this student said to me, wow, that's really interesting. You know, at 15 years old, what makes you interested? She said, well, we're doing this project at school called Growing Beyond Earth in partnership with Fairchild. And I just love going in and seeing and taking care of and, you know, caring for these plants every day. So I want to do it at home. So I'm not sure if it was the, you know, just the fact of the matter of doing it for NASA scientists. I mean, that's exciting in itself, right? Doing anything for NASA is it super exciting. Is it the idea of sort of caring and nurturing for something? Could be that or a combination of that. Or is it there's no answer to these questions? So NASA scientists are asking them to help find solutions to some of their most critical problems for sending people to space for long-distance space travel. What a total win. This is great. Thank you. Did I see somewhere that you're having a maker challenge too? Yes, absolutely. So NASA, in addition to funding us to do the Growing Beyond Earth Classroom Research Project, they've also funded us to help them identify, help them to find solutions to the technology of growing food for long-distance space travel as well. So we have recently opened the Growing Beyond Earth Innovation Studio, which is a makerspace here at the Garden where people can address the sort of technology issues of growing plants. And how this started was we get an opportunity. I feel very grateful to have the opportunity that when I go to Kennedy Space Center, I get to go into their Greenworks, which is their growing lab. And in their Greenworks, they have this whiteboard that talks about all of the, you know, the challenges and where they're going. It's sort of the roadmap. And along the way, there are these like sort of questions. How do we resolve the watering issues? How do we grow more things in that small space? How do we, you know, all of these technology issues that are not just about variety, but they're about space, right? And so we proposed to NASA that we would use the same model, but we would help them address these technology issues. And so we have a maker challenge and the maker challenge is really designed for professionals collegiate teams and high school teams to address these technology issues. So the technology issues that we're addressing are how do you better utilize the three-dimensional space when there's no gravity, when there's no up or down, right? So right now in the veggie system, the plants are growing at the bottom, the lights at the top. Well, there's no gravity. So in the absence of gravity, plants grow towards the light. So you can orient the light anywhere. So right now there's this huge gap between where the plants are and where the light is. It's like wasted space. So how do you better orient the plants and the lights so that you can grow more? So that was one of the challenges. Automation, how do you set it and let it go? You know, there's some idea that there's going to be a stopover place on the way to Mars, let's say, and, you know, we want the, to be able to say, okay, have my lettuce ready for me when I get there. 
how do you do that? So that's this year's challenge. And then the following year will be about, you know, adding sensors and, you know, keeping the plant alive. So last year we had 130 teams across the nation working on these challenges. This year, we're sort of midway through the process, and we have about the same again, teams, collegiate teams, professional teams, and high school teams doing it as well. And then also, we will be doing a symposium similar to what we're doing for the middle and high schools, where the participants are going to be able to present their product to us and to the NASA researchers for sort of judging. And then there'll be three winners, one at each level. How exciting is that going to be? Oh, and I must not forget to ask you when you said the sensors challenge is next year, is there a deadline or when would people that might like to be a part of the sensors challenge want to sign up? Absolutely. Well, so we will be kicking that one off probably in September. So right now we're finishing up this particular one and then we'll kick off the next year. This one will wrap up July and then it'll be September. We'll kick off the next one. And there'll be what's great is there's a series of webinars. So there'll be a sort of a webinar on how to, you know, what we're looking for. And then webinars with the researchers and webinars with, you know, local people who can be helpful in those conversations. And the NASA scientists join us on that. So it's Dr. Joya Massa as well, but then it's also Ralph Fritchie, who sort of runs that whole program over there, talks about what he's looking for, more from an engineering perspective. And you can find all that information on our website as well, and it's fairchildgarden.org, and then it's innovation. There's a whole tab on innovation, and then there's like three different things you can choose from. One of them is the Maker Challenge. Two tabs that people are probably going to want to bookmark after they hear this. With all the incredibly cool things you're doing at Fairchild Garden for students and teachers, of course, I'm going to dare to ask, what's next? What's coming up after all of this? Oh, goodness gracious. Well, we want to continue to grow the Growing Beyond Earth project. You know, we're really looking to provide this opportunity since schools get to participate in the Growing Beyond Earth project free of charge at this point. As long as NASA continues to fund us, we're able to offer the equipment to, you know, underrepresented and low resource schools free of charge. So we'll send them those equipment. We want to continue this. We want to reach out into rural communities, into more urban communities to be able to to really get this out there. So that's really what our continuation of this is to continue to be able to provide usable data to NASA scientists and be able to provide opportunities for students to contribute to that. You have grants from NASA, but how can people best support you? Are you also accepting community support of any kind? Absolutely. We're a nonprofit organization, so we run on the kind and generous support of others. And if someone is interested in participating in this or someone is interested in supporting this, they can reach out to me directly and they can, you know, we can find lots of opportunities to be able to maybe support a school. Maybe, you know, if somebody's interested in potentially, you know, adopting a school, that's helpful as well. Or if they just want general support that goes out. Otherwise, if they have experience or ideas that would be helpful in you know future challenges or ideas of where we go next, I'm always open to that. We're not mantling over this. We, you know, NASA is looking to the community to find solutions to these problems. And so we want to go beyond ourselves to find people who have ideas and solutions that can contribute. 
time and donations of creativity also welcome. Is what Absolutely. I've just we'll take all kinds of, you know, generous support from the community. And that's the global community as well, given that you have a classroom in Japan, one in Puerto Rico and one in, I believe, Canada. We have, yeah, we have one in Canada. We have 15 in Puerto Rico, as a matter of fact, and we have one in Japan. Yes. Wow. And finally, Amy, as we wrap up here, if people could only get one thing from you about innovation, creativity, and making a difference, what would you like them to take away from you and what you're doing with the Growing Beyond Earth program right now? I think the personal main takeaway is you got to love what you do because everyone around you will feel it. And about the Growing Beyond Earth project, I think the one thing to take away is that, you know, we all don't have all of the answers and we have to work together to find the answers and find the solutions to some of the world's biggest problems. And I think that's the Growing Beyond Earth is based solely on that idea. Amy, thank you for your time today. Thank you so much for having me. You and I have been listening to Amy Padoff. Director of Education at Fairchild Tropical Botanic Garden in Coral Gables, Florida. As Amy mentioned, the Growing Beyond Earth Project is currently recruiting classrooms for the coming academic year. Find out more at fairchildgarden.org backslash GBE for Growing Beyond Earth. That's fairchildgarden.org backslash GBE. And while you're on the page, be sure you get a look at the video featuring NASA scientists Dr. Joya Massa and Trent Smith talking about the Growing Beyond Earth project. Also, don't miss Amy's TEDx Coconut Grove talk entitled Learning from History, Preparing for the Future, which you'll find on TEDx Talk's YouTube channel. And that concludes this edition of Over Coffee. Thank you for listening. Listen to more Over Coffee podcasts at twomavericks.com. That's two, T-W-O, Mavericks, M-A-V-E-R-I-X. And you can contact us at twomavericks at gmail.com. The music you're hearing is royalty-free production music provided by Pond5 at pond5.com. I'm Dot Cannon. Here's wishing you a cappuccino day.